0: Kendrick Perkins joins us on Sports Byline. He played in the NBA for 14 years, highlighted by winning an NBA championship with Boston. His post-basketball career includes broadcasting for ESPN and lending his insights on basketball. And Kendrick can now add author to his accomplishments with his book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins. Kendrick, let me start by asking you about one of the things I read about you in a review. It said Kendrick carries his South with him. What were they talking about?
1: I mean, <laughs> I don't know if they were talking about you know my country slang uh, and read it through the book, but I believe it's, it's it's how I'm not afraid to represent where I'm from and where I'm from, and I speak on it daily, uh, and I represent it with great pride. You know, being from. Balmont, Texas, which is 45 minutes from the border of Louisiana, um, I represent that. Um, and and I, being from a small town of a population of about 90,000 people, um, it's not it's not every day that we make it out of those situations, right? Being raised in a home by, that was built by my great grandfather, raised by my grandparents, uh, I'm just a country boy at heart. Uh, and that's the way I am uh, I'm unapologetic about it and I'm authentic and that's who I am so you know reading a book you could feel that I'm going to remind you all the time where I'm from and that I'm a country boy and I'm proud of it.
0: for many athletes I've known and interviewed writing a book about their life can be challenging but with you I sensed it was easy am I right about that
1: it was, because, I mean, I have so many stories to tell, and my, my journey in itself is its own story, but I have little stories inside of it. And, you know, just starting from the foundation of it, uh, the starting point of, you know, my mom being uh, murdered when I was five years old by, you know, a good friend of hers, and my dad moving to New Zealand, and my grandparents taking me in, uh, the situation in itself was my grandmother was making $40 to $60 a week. My grandfather was making $350 a month the, as the janitor at the church. So <clears throat> I grew up not having a lot. Uh, grew up crying myself to sleep a, a lot at night and had to fight through a lot of adversity. Um, and was searching for that security from a parent and wondering if my mom was still living, how would life be? And, and asking why I had to go through life without my mom and without my dad being there for me. So, <clears throat> you know, that was the foundation part of it. And, you know, getting through those hard times as, as a child and then getting into the basketball space for us being one of the top recruits, you know, there's so many stories to tell in that part in itself, great stories and sacrifices. And then, you know, making it to the league, my journey through the league and playing with so many Hall of Famers and winning the NBA championship and playing for the Celtics, one of the most historic franchises in sports, sports, and playing for, you know, the Thunder and things of that nature. It's so many little stories to tell throughout the course of my whole entire journey. So it wasn't hard at all.
0: What was the early education experience for you that gave you the most help, Kendrick?
1: Well, I, I think, you know what, it, it was It was my relationship with my grandfather. Uh, I think it was more so of him teaching me, you know, how to be a man outside of anything, right, and how to work for everything, meaning, you know, teaching me how to cut grass so that I could pull my lawnmower up and down Glenwood Street uh, every Saturday morning, go out cut my neighbors' yards for five dollars, right? And teaching me how to kill and clean a chicken in 30 minutes out of out of our backyard, so that we could make sure we had food for the week, you know. And teaching me how to change a flat tire, and teaching me how to wash my clothes and hang them on the clothes on the clothesline. You know, to and and how to to hang them up there on clothespins and things to that nature was like, you know, that was the the starting point of te- him teaching me how to be a man. That was the educational part of it, Uh and that was also challenging. So he was putting me through a test to learn how to handle adversity. You know, when the lawnmower may stop while I'm on the job and cutting yards, what I'ma do? Uh, what I need to do? Do I need more gas? Do I need to give it a break? Uh am I going through wet grass, things of that nature. Those little things add up in life. lifelessness.
0: We're talking with Kendrick Perkins, and again, I want to urge you to check out this book. It's an excellent book. It's called The Education of Kendrick Perkins. And at 18, you left your grandparents' rundown yellow house, and you said something I thought was very interesting. What was I leaving behind in Beaumont? All that I had and all I was, everything I've ever known— I was leaving behind the ghost of my mama, who was murdered when I was five years old, and I was leaving behind the shadow of my father, Kenneth Perkins. It was a shadow of a man I hardly knew." Now, as I thought about that and reread it a second time, that kind of experience, Kendrick, can crush a young man's confidence and self-esteem, especially when he's heading off to play in the NBA at 18. How were you able to overcome and prosper from those early life experiences?
1: Well, I think, uh, I think one <laughs> making it to the NBA helps, right? Like <laughs> a dream may come true. So, I think that helped. But I, I think more so, it was just the community itself, right? And I talk about the Pal Archie in my book, and the saying "It takes a village to raise a child." Um, I was searching so much for, you know, that young father figure and that mentor that. I found it in a group of men, whether it was some of my friends' fathers or, you know, my high school coach that allowed me to be able to get through those rough patches and allow me not to look back. And I knew once I left that my grandparents were so loved uh, in that community because they have done so much in the church and things to that nature that I knew people would look out for them while I was gone. And and I knew I had to go and do what I needed to do because going to the NBA was just part of my journey, right? And part of my goal. I had to go to I had to go to be successful because I wanted to get them out of that situation, out of that run down yellow house. And that was and I wouldn't stop until I provided a great life for them and made sure that they were comfortable and sit and set for life.
0: I like what you said in the book. You talk very candidly about the tragedy you and other young black children face being fatherless. And that has always been something as I looked at sports and looked at life and generally being fatherless. I didn't know who my father was. Tell me a little bit about how you overcame that and how you filled in the blanks that maybe a, a father-son relationship would have been.
1: Well, you know what, I, like I said before, it was, it was my grandfather who, who stepped in and did what he could to teach me how to be a man? He actually was the best man in my wedding. And then it was it was me going to like you know my friends' homes where they did have those father figures, and I would spend multiple nights over there just to see and learn. And I was very like observant to situations. And the, when I would see some of my friends get busted or. Get grounded for certain things. I would actually learn from that situation, and I would, you know, when they would go work out, I I would ask, could I go? And they would let, they would bring me along, and so I would just pick pick up bits and pieces to fill in that void and fill in that gap that I was missing. And it was a it was a group of, of men collectively, whether they was in my church, whether they was my friends' dads, my high school coach. That all help in that in that place uh, uh, of filling that void, uh, you know, of uh, missing that father figure. And and so when you talk about missing that father figure, you, in the African American community, like majority of the time, and it, these are those hard conversations, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of fathers are either you know in, incarcerated. Uh, are not in their lives because they're doing other things that you know take away from their kids, and so <clears throat> you know, as me being a father now, I always wanted, to, I always said I wanted a large family, and I also wanted to make sure I was there for my kids because I knew the feeling, and I didn't want them to have that that feeling like I had growing up.
0: You know, it's also very interesting because uh, playing professional basketball, when you come into the league, you make an awful lot of money. And a lot of kids, if they're mm-hmm. young, don't know how to deal with it. And I'm just wondering, who was that one person when you came into the NBA that took you underneath their wing and really started you down that road to mentoring others?
1: You, you know what? It was it was actually Danny Ainge. Mm. Danny Ainge, the, the best thing that happened for me was that I got drafted to a great organization with great vets and Eric Williams and Walter McCarty, Tony Delk and Tony Battie, but it was actually under new ownership and with Grosspeck and Steve Pagliuca and Doctor James Cash, and then Danny Ainge took over the the head of the front office, and Danny Ainge was a was like me and him bonded instantly, right, because of my work habits and and everything and. He always used to come to me and say, are you being a man's man? Like, he used to get on me about things about, you know, wearing my earrings and and, and wearing jewelry and wondering why why was I doing those things. And he taught me a lot of life lessons because he was always brutally honest. Whether I liked it or not, he was brutally honest to the point. He used to tell me when he was going scout, I'm going to look at a player right now because I'm always trying to find somebody that's better than you. Just know that. And But at the same time, I took it as tough love because he always valued what I also brought to the table and would applaud me on it. So Danny Ainge was, like, so huge that our relationship is still great to this day, like, still, like, I don't call it father-son, I call it big brother, little brother, because he just stepped in the way of even helping – putting the right people in place to help me with my finances, helping me find somewhere to stay. And, uh, you know, anything I may have needed, he was that one I could call on to, to, to get some type of help or and, gu- and guidance in the right direction.
0: I am smiling here because I remember a conversation I had with Danny Ainge, who I've known since he was playing baseball before he played uh, (laughs) uh, and everything. Uh, And I remember asking him about you. And he said, Kendrick is the type of person that looks at the glasses half full, not half empty. And as I listen to you talk about your life and everything, that certainly comes through. With Boston, you won the 2008 NBA championship. What was the catalyst of that championship team?
1: You know what? It was it was a term of Mbutu. It, it was the sacrifice. and it started with KG Kevin Garnett. The first day of training camp, we all knew that he was the best player on that team. But he came in and instantly said in the meeting that he was taking a back seat to Paul and Ray offensively, <laughs> and right there it set the tone for everybody else. Uh, that sacrificing part, losing yourself in the team. Uh, not playing playing agenda-free basketball and not worrying about yourself, but knowing that you was part of a greater whole that was trying to accomplish a, a bigger thing that was bigger than any one individual success. And so when he set the bar, we lived off in of Mbutu. And Mbutu was basically sacrificing, sacrificing yourself, sacrificing your individual goals for the team goal, and that was the catalyst and why we were able to accomplish their goal and win the NBA championships.
0: I know you have to head out, but we've got a minute left. And I want, what do you want people to take away from this book?
1: You know what? Like, I want people to know my journey and my story. I want people to know who I played with, for us all the Hall of Famers and the and and the organizations. But I also it's a piece in, in my book. Well, i want people to understand that it's okay to get help like i talked about it at the point where i was in oklahoma city and i had some off the court issues and i went down to kansas city to go to anger management and at the like if you would asked me this five years ago i wouldn't have been proud to say it but now i'm to the point where we deal with mental health so much and people are afraid to actually go get counseling like in the african-american community As a youngster, if you say you're going to get help, you get laughed at. Like people say, like, you have a problem. And so I want people to know that it was okay because I actually went and got help.
0: I want to thank you very much for writing this book as well as spending some time. I have a lot more things I want to talk to you about that means you have to come back and visit with me again, Kendrick.
1: Absolutely, boy. Warren, I appreciate you, man, and thank you. And I applaud all your success that you done had and that you're having, and I appreciate it any time. Look, I could talk all day long. I agree. You don't never shut up.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Kendrick. Take care.
1: All right. All right. Thanks.
0: Kendrick Perkins with us. I urge you to check this book out. It's called The Education of Kendrick Perkins. We continue on Sports Byline.